I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that with which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Since I've been about eight years old, which is... 32 years now. And I love playing guitar, but for me, even though I've been playing for that long, it's really ended up all about just playing chords. It's just about strumming chords to sing along to, and as you can see from that last song, not always getting it right. <laughs> I can't really actually do much more than strum chords. Uh, but it means there's been times uh, where other guitarists have played alongside me. And like, for instance, Johnny Chester can do, they all of a sudden launch into some beautiful lead guitar bit and I just keep strumming along. <laughs> and then you get those other musicians, uh, the Caithnesses, <laughs> who, who seem to be able to pick up nearly any instrument. Do you know the type? And they play it better than you in a week or two. There's a few more here today, I'm sure. Um, but do you ever feel like that in other areas of your life? That in other areas of life, people have got it all figured out compared to you. They seem to be so much better at it compared to you. So you think, and oh, this isn't me, but you think you're a pretty good gardener and then someone else, you go to their house, you see their garden and it just blows you away. You think you're a pretty good cook and someone comes along and they cook something for you like they should be on a cooking show. You think you're a pretty good driver and then your wife overtakes <laughs> like she's Michael Schumacher. Uh, and sometimes I think, though, it's the same with our faith, isn't it? Uh, we saw last week in his letter to the Philippians, Paul defined for us, and, and Dean read it out, the verse, it's great that he went back a few verses, Paul defines what the Christian life is all about. His, it says there that it's about a righteousness that doesn't come from us, but it's a gift, it comes from God. 
And it means that our lives should be and are all about knowing Christ. So we read it in verse 7 and 8. There's amazing verses. Paul's very excited. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I actually consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Know Christ. And so last, last week, if you were here, you were left with this. This call on your life as Christians, that your life is about knowing Christ. Not just knowing about Christ, but to know Him. So to have a relationship with Him, to to pursue Him, to, to treasure Him, and to do that in a way where you actually imitate Him more and more. You become more and more like Him. But with that in mind... As we move on in the passage here, I think Paul anticipates a problem with this. Or rather, a problem of what it might make you and me think about ourselves sometimes. Because when he says that our lives are and should be all about knowing Christ, and therefore about imitating Christ in the way we live, I think sometimes what enters in our minds is a bit of worry or confusion. Because we can very easily hear that and we start thinking, oh, I don't know if I've got that fully figured out yet. How do I know if I know Christ enough? And so what do we do when we start thinking about those things or what causes us to think those things? Comparison, yeah? So all these other people we think, or at least the glossy Sunday morning version of all these other people, they seem to have perfected this a bit more than me. They seem to have it more figured out. They seem to fully know Christ in a way that I don't. Maybe I've missed it. Why am I not there yet? Maybe I'm not fully Christian. Maybe I'm just not spiritual enough. Well, today Paul goes, whoa, slow down. That's not the case. He says even even for the great apostle Paul, he makes it clear that in his own life, Knowing Christ is actually a lifelong journey of growth. It's not actually something you will perfect. It's not something you will complete in this life. We see it in verses 12 to 14. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul here, he's saying in this life, in his life, in in his faith, knowing Christ And the end goal of that, heaven, resurrection, it's not something that he has got. It's not something that he has perfected. He knows he hasn't fully obtained it. See there in verse 12 again, he says, Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. You know, that verse, this is a wonderful thing. Here Paul is saying, in this verse, he's saying, Jesus has already got it for me 
He's already taken hold of me. Jesus has already has me. He's already won heaven for me. He's already won eternal life for me. He's already won salvation for me through the cross. But then he says, but at the same time, I'm actually not there yet. Not fully there yet. I belong to heaven. I belong to that resurrected life in the future, but I'm not there yet. And so it means as Christians like Paul... We're never meant to, remember this side of Christ's return, we're never meant to reach a place where we can say, well, you know what, I totally know Christ. And, and if that's the case, I'm totally Christ-like. Because that's what happens, isn't it? As we know Christ more and more, God works in us to make us more and more Christ-like. But we never get to that point where we can say that's complete. And perhaps a problem is that sometimes people around us can act like that. We need to be careful of any type of spiritual arrogance where we present ourselves to others as as spiritual know-it-alls, spiritual gurus that lack humility and come across as they've got it all totally figured out. They're already there. You see, as much as people put on that glossy exterior sometimes, it's not real, is it? We never reach a place in our lives before Christ's return where we can say, yes, I've got it all sorted. I am now this supreme, all-knowledge, spiritual being, exactly as I'm going to be when I get to heaven. Now, we saw it earlier in chapter 2. Paul says, no, 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 you are actually to be working out your salvation. That's what your life is about. It's an ongoing thing. So yes, we are saved. We have those things. We are saved. Jesus has done it. That's what it says here in verse 12. But, but now he's saying we are to work it out. We are to live it in our lives. What is it that we're living in our lives? We saw it last week. This is what our lives look at. We are, we are in this tension where what, we, what Paul is calling us to do here in Philippians is to consider all things loss, all other things loss, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Consider everything else garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And let me draw out some things from that for you. The first of all, when we hear that, when we read these verses, in that is great assurance, isn't there? So be assured that you are, you are not meant to be sitting here today in church on a Sunday morning at a service and thinking, oh no, I don't, know, I don't fully know Christ, I don't live a life that fully imitates Christ, I'm in big trouble. I should be there by now. Because not even the great Apostle Paul claims that of himself. But what leads on from that assurance, that you don't have to have reached that end goal already, that comes when Christ returns, the, the, the lead on from that is really important. Because here, even in his own life, Paul sees the push that should follow from that assurance. Because he says here, Therefore, we saw in chapter 2, continue to work out your salvation. And here he says, very, very similar, he says, therefore, press on. Keep going in your faith. Keep growing in your faith. He's saying here, know Jesus more. Pursue Jesus more. Treasure Jesus more. Be like Jesus more and more. Verse 12, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's saying live more and more in the identity Christ has won for you. 
And then in verses 13 and 14, as we read on, he gives us great insight into how we, like Paul, are to press on. How we press on towards heaven. Verse 13 and 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, Take a close look at that verse. Does anyone see a a slight mathematical problem in what Paul says here? Because here he, he describes what it looks like for him and us to press on and he says, there's one thing I need to do. See, but one thing I do. One thing that he does to press on. What is it? Two things. He says, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. That's two things, but in practice, they're one and the same, aren't they? Because first Paul says, forget what is behind. What's he talking about? Well, we saw it last week. He's speaking of any ambition we have for our own self-righteousness, for our own worldly success, our old life that thought we could figure it out for ourselves, he says, forget it. He says, reject it. Don't go back to your old sin-pursuing life. Instead, strain towards what is ahead. How's that done? Well, Paul is saying strain towards heaven, towards the day of resurrection of Christ's return. How do you do it? Well, we already know, don't we? By knowing Christ, by pursuing Christ more and more. And so in reality, they're the same thing. They're intertwined, aren't they? How do you actually forget? So how do you put off your old self, full of self-righteousness, full of sin, full of pride? Well, you do that by filling yourself with something else, don't you? By filling yourself with Jesus Christ. By focusing and pursuing that. See, Paul isn't saying, forget who you were, like it's some type of memory loss you mean to have, like men in black where they zap you. No, Paul is saying, stop being who you were. When he says, forget who you are, he's saying, stop being who you were. Keep on, stop being that. That's really bad grammar. But he's saying, keep on forgetting that. See, Paul is showing us that the Christian life is not one where you're converted and instantaneously sin is no longer a problem in your life instantaneously you become exactly like Jesus. No, this whole working out of our salvation, this whole pressing on towards heaven, is this life of growth, isn't it? Growth in holiness, where, where God's, in God's power, you, you keep on forgetting that old self and you start putting on Christ more and more. Um, Paul knows that doing this in this life is, is going to be a struggle. But he's showing the only way to do it. He's saying here we have to be continually reminding ourselves that those old things, those old ambitions, those old self-righteous behaviours, those old sinful desires, as much as they so often seem to us like the best way to go, the most appealing way to go, the best way to act in life, he says there, back in verse 8, he says, they're garbage. Remember, they're garbage, they're garbage, they're garbage compared to knowing Christ. 
So the best way, the only way to forget that sinful life is to strain in the other direction, isn't it? Is to press on doing one thing. Not by being a good person. Not by putting on a glossy pretense, especially on a Sunday morning, but by seeing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, pursuing Him, treasuring Him. So the question this morning, friends, is that, is that what you and I, is that what we are intent on doing? So first of all, you have to ask, do you see, do you truly see the surpassing worth of Jesus, of knowing Him? So do you see the surpassing worth of knowing that salvation is found in Him alone as your Saviour, as He took your sins on the cross? Do you see the surpassing worth of knowing Him as Saviour, but also as Lord, as King? Now that he, you are a Christian, He is the total boss of your life. Do you see the worth in that? How good that is? And therefore, do you see the surpassing worth of the way He tells you to be? The identity He tells you you have? The way He tells you to live your life? Do you see the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus? Of Him as the treasure, as the centre of your life? And if you do, are you there pressing on? Are you pursuing Him with your whole life? Where it's becoming more and more obvious, even to people around you, that Jesus, every day of the week, not just Sunday, every day of the week, is your treasure. And therefore, your life actually starts to look more like Him. So, so here, Paul, Paul shows us that the Christian life, it's not one of glossy perfection that we like to put up sometimes. It's one where we strain towards our heavenly home, where we press on to take hold of what Jesus has already taken hold for us. But now as we move on in the verses, in verses 15 to 21... Paul, again, as he has through Philippians, says, God's gift to you is also the church. That is an important part of who you are and what he's given you. See, in verses 15 to 21, Paul shows us yet again the importance of the church, of our our unity, of our partnership, in being able to to press on like this, in being able to, to pursue Christ. Because here he actually says, if you want to keep on pursuing Christ, if you want to press on in that way, then a really helpful thing for all of us to have is good examples of others who do that. Good examples of others who imitate Jesus, who copy Jesus. Um, This is is Matt and Mike Schlepp. Uh, They're twins from Arizona, America. Uh, who, by the age of 21, had already spent over $30,000 on plastic surgery and dental work. Now, they did this surgery because they wanted to look like a famous celebrity. Anyone want to guess who they wanted to look like? Anyone? How do you know? Are you cheating or you just get... Okay, well, I don't know what's wrong with Dean, but I don't think that... Yes, he's right. Wow. <laughs> okay, fair enough. 
That's, that's deep, man. Okay. <laughs> Dean is right. I didn't think anyone would guess that. But anyway, um, they actually both wanted to look like Brad Pitt. And, and even though Dean picked it out, I'm not sure how successful they were. Maybe the hair, that's about it, yeah? <laughs> um, and it's, it's, a, it's a thing. Look it up on the... Don't look it up on the internet. <laughs> there are many people who do all sorts of things to look like other people. And while it might not be radical plastic surgery like Matt and Mike Schlepp, there are many people in our world, in our town, maybe even our church, who seek out famous people, seek out celebrities as people that they think are worth imitating. Social media, it's full these days, isn't it, of people we call influencers. People who are followed online for good or for bad, because apparently they have the answers we need. Apparently they live the lives that we too should want. And so it raises a question, who are we, who are you, who am I seeking to imitate, seeking to emulate? Uh, and it may not be people online, it may be even people closer to home. Uh, are there family members, are there friends that you see as examples of, I want to be like that? Who are the people in our lives that we truly see as role models? And on the flip side, I think we have to ask the same thing about ourselves. Are we acting, how are we acting as role models for those around us, particularly the next generation? So what does it actually look like? What examples should we be seeking after and seeking to be? Well, let's take a look at verse 15 to 17, see what Paul's got to say. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things... And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we already have attained. Verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul says there, verse 15, he says, If you are mature, take the view that he has already been talking about. So that's the view we've been talking about, that Christian maturity itself is not actually perfectionism, it's not completed, but it's, it is some, Christian maturity is someone who is seeking to continually grow, to continually press on in knowing Christ. I see the word there, interestingly, the word there in verse 15, mature, in the Greek, it's actually a word that means perfect. But what we've seen from Paul and the example that he sets in his life for us to follow, it's not one where perfect means perfectionism, is it? Where, where maturity is actually a point that we've reached where we can say we've done it. Where he's, he's totally gotten rid of sin and knows Christ perfectly in this life. That's not what he calls mature. That's not what he calls perfect. Now, Paul is saying the mature Christian life, we haven't arrived yet that they know they can continue to grow. And he says, that is the example, that is the role model that you should seek. You see, uh, we have a danger, don't we, in the church of seeking role models who promote their lives as completely successful, as complete, in the sense that they seem to convey their life as totally figured out, as totally perfected where there's actually little room for growth. There's little struggle with sin. I think they're having you on. 
It's a glossy pretense that causes people to simply think they're missing the mark and therefore, oh, maybe I'm not spiritual enough. You see, the true models, someone like Paul particularly, you read Romans 7 and his struggle with sin. The true models we should follow, the true models we should seek to be for others are people who are pressing on. People, it says here, who are straining forward. People who are striving to forget, to put their old self to death and to keep on pursuing Christ. You see, don't seek a role model who claims to have already reached heaven. Instead, seek a role model who humbly pursues Jesus. I'll say that again. Don't seek a role model who comes across as someone who seemingly has already reached heaven in their life. Instead, seek a role model who humbly pursues Jesus. And you know what? They are often people who you might not notice at first. Sometimes they're people who humbly serve and love when people don't even realise. Who serve sacrificially, not just when it suits them, not subject to a better offer, not just when they'll be acknowledged. Um, as we continue through Philippians, I'm so convinced that, that that hymn about Jesus in chapter 2 that we read a few weeks ago, it remains the, the core, the, the heartbeat of Paul's letter here. Everything seems to go back to it, even this. Because the role models that we should seek are people who imitate Christ, who imitate his ultimate example of humility, where he lowered himself to be a servant, a slave, even to obedience and death on the cross. So our examples should be people like that, people willing to lower themselves no matter the cost, to serve and love others. And here Paul shows us the opposite as well. He shows us here in these final verses, he shows us the bad role models. The people whose lives might look appealing at first glance, even within the church, but they've got it all wrong. Indeed, he calls them here very harshly. He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. We can learn from this too. Learn what to avoid in our own lives. Learn what to avoid as we seek role models, examples in our own life. Verse 18 and 19, Paul says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is in their stomach, sorry, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul's pretty harsh here, but do you see what he's doing? He, he leaves no middle ground. He leaves no fence sitters in the Christian life. If you are someone who knows Christ, who follows Christ, then it has to dictate how you live day by day. He's saying here you can't have a life that focuses on worldly ambition, on fulfilling your worldly desires and claim to follow the Christ who went to the cross. Paul calls it here, you're setting your minds on earthly things. And he describes it as, as someone whose God is their stomach. So what drives them? What, what they obey, he's saying, is their worldly appetite, their desires, their, their, their self-centered ambition, not Jesus. 
And he says there's so much so that they actually glory in that. They say, oh, look how good this is. Look how good I am. They glory in their ambition. They glory even in their sin and their success. No, no, no. He's saying don't get sucked into that. Don't get fooled by that glossy pretense of the world and its ambitions. Their destiny is what? Destruction. Instead, verse 21 onwards, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So brothers and sisters, this is saying stand firm in this life the way that God wants you to. Not by claiming perfection, not by seeking worldly ambitions to build yourself up, but by pursuing you are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. And soon enough, you will be there. Some of us earlier than others. But even though you are not there yet, it's saying, act like a citizen. Act like a citizen of heaven. A citizen of heaven who, who has a king who has gone to the cross to give you life. A citizen of heaven who has a king who has shown you how to live. A citizen of heaven whose king is worth pursuing with every inch of your life. And, and while you wait for entry to that heavenly home, Paul says to you that one of God's gifts in the meantime is these people here. Is other Christians you know. His church who are also humbly forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, pressing on. So seek out those examples of people who humbly strive to pursue Christ. Friends, seek in your life and seek in the people around you a life that is not influenced by the world, but instead, as we're going to sing in a minute, a life that day by day turns to Jesus and continually pursues him saying, Jesus, you have saved me. I have eternity to look forward to. Therefore, every day of my life, I am who you say I am. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that